Well, good morning again. We are, we are at a point in time where we're looking at Paul, and again, I would invite you to sit under the teaching of the Holy Spirit through Paul as we listen to uh, the message this morning as to the faith that Paul wished we had. Again, by extension, we know that God is using Paul as he's used throughout the New Testament. But as we come into this, I want to remind you of a couple of things. As we move into this topic this morning, uh, some of you will think, huh, this is interesting. Some of you think, that's not me. And some will, uh, other people would just kind of bypass this. But we're moving into an understanding of the development of faith, that this is for those who are really maturing in Christ. And so I wanted to go back and highlight something I've, I've done for the last several weeks, is to say that the value of this sermon, the value of the information, the value of any education or any training, anything that you get, the value is determined by one who has a vision, by one who has a goal. And that goal, if it's lined up with your goals, will match your heart and they will be aligned. And therefore, what makes something important is not the thing itself, it's the direction and the movement, it's the end result, it's where you want to end up being. And so the information increases in value when deemed relevant to reach that goal. And therefore what Paul has to say to us has uh, value only if you agree with the goals that the Holy Spirit has, if you line your heart up. And so goals determine the values, and the values don't determine the goals. And so the goals are something that you can be responsible for, to work for, work towards, and that's where we come to understand where Paul had come to, and when Paul's goals for what Paul understood about Christ, his goal is that he would like you to understand. So what he would love you to have is the same faith that he had. He would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what, what is more, as you look at the life of Paul, Paul considered that everything a loss, everything he did in his spiritual development as a rabbi, as a Pharisee, as he was growing up and he gave himself to that education and the rabbinical system, the understanding the, the Torah and the Talmud, he says, I gave it up because of the surpassing value the goal of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them garbage. That's an easier word. There's a stronger word that's being used in the Greek. But he wants to gain Christ. And therefore understand Paul's goal is Christ. For me to live is Christ. It's not the blessings of Christ. It's not the salvation from Christ. It is the person of Christ. And he says, I want to be found in him. I want to know Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own which comes through the law. It's not about me. It's not about my performance. It's not about my understanding. It's not about my worldview. It's about Christ. And through that faith in Christ, that righteousness that he brings to me, that comes from God on the basis of faith. And therefore, the goal that Paul would simply say, I want to know him. 
and the power of his resurrection. And underline this word, participation. Now we'll come back to that in a minute, but I want to participate. Wherever Christ is, I want to be there. In the sufferings, becoming like him in the death. And therefore last week I mentioned that Martin Luther took these eight words, and these eight words are at the end of Galatians 2.20. He took them from Paul, but those eight words were, were, um, I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me, and the life that I now live, the life that I now live, this present life in this body that I now experience, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Martin Luther said, if any man would apply those eight words and understand the love of Christ towards that individual, applying them to the heart, then that man has made a major shift out of religion into relationship. And that shift takes away the external focus to an internal focus that the heart is the, is the uh, focus of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit wants to get your heart. And we talked about the, the danger that we have in American, uh, American Christianity because we have a very rational, cognitive, propositional, informational, doctrinal system, uh, any kind of uh, organizational approach to, relation, to religion as opposed to a Hebrew mindset. And the Hebrew mindset says, I want to see Christ. That's why the Jews were always asking for signs. They wanted to see and experience. But it was a relational approach. And so from Abraham, trusting Christ, from Abraham all the way through David, Isaiah, and now we come to Paul, you see this mindset as I want to see him, I want to walk with him, I want to know him. And therefore, as I'm continuing to work on this model, here's where I am today. <laughs> it may change next week, but these are, you'll see the progress of, of this, this idea that the Spirit of God is at work, beginning to work in the, in the Gentiles and the Jewish people, or anybody who calls on Christ, moving them from ineffective faith to the, in, that saving faith where you're born again, but even as a child being born, he doesn't know much. So the growing faith, increasing in that understanding, you move from an infantile to the ever-increasing learning and putting pieces together. And yet, so often, most of us don't understand what we don't understand. And therefore, we pretend to know God in ways that we've never experienced. And therefore you may have the right answer on the Jeopardy question and get the points, but, but you will miss something because there's more to that. So we increase our faith until we no longer believe on the basis of what the pastor says or my mom and dad say, my grandpa says. We believe it because we own it. And it becomes very much an individual thing. It becomes a conviction on your own, you say, this is what I hold to be true. But that independent stage where you move from, I know what I believe, is still never, not the goal. 
so you move from an individualized faith to really seeing the bigger picture of what God's Spirit is doing in redeeming the world and integrating all of creation. If from Ephesians 1.10, we know that God is trying to pull heaven and earth together. He's trying to pull Gentiles and Jews together, men and women together. It's about restoring and regenerating a whole new humanity. But with that focus, it's no longer about what you think. It's no longer about what you believe. It's about how you fit in to the larger picture. And so you continue to move from this individualized faith to an integrated faith where it's coherent and it makes sense and it's relevant and you can communicate it because you've touched the reality because you've been trained by the Holy Spirit. And then you move to this interdependency stage where you move to the part where well, like Jesus was always listening to what the Father's will was, and he would break the bread, and he says, Father, I know you always hear me, but for their sakes, I pray. And it's thinking about other people. And so you take part in the kingdom movement, and then you move to that growth and that experience and maturity where your faith becomes instinctual, second nature. You don't question, you don't doubt, you, you move freely, but you move in obedience and you move in faith. And therefore, as we've mentioned before, here at Chesterland Baptist, these are the five bars. Can you remember these? I always keep these before you because these are what I, are, are, are substantial emphases for someone who's gonna be a biblical Christian. And you can name them with me. One, it's being Christ-centered. Two, having an understanding that this Bible is not just another book, not just another religious book, even a, a special book. This is so unique that it should be on the top of every library because this is not a man-made book. This is not a book by research. This is a book given from heaven itself to reveal who God is and who we are in relationship to him. That revelation, that's another pot of coffee, which we won't get into. But today, the focus I, he- I want you to think about is this idea that he lives. He's the redeemer. He's the one that's really undoing the undoing of Adam. And so he's restoring. So the idea that when you have this faith that is really clear, You see God's at work writing a story in your heart, in my heart, and he's doing it in such a way that you know him personally, and you learn from him, and you grow with him. And therefore, this, this message is about the redemptive part and the restoration part. So let's begin with Paul. Paul. I don't know what you think about Paul. But Paul was, in my mind, the greatest first century mind. He was um, beyond the philosophers and beyond anybody else since then. But St. Paul is one of the most important and most influential saints. His writings are uh, contained in the New Testament, 13 books. He's written more books. Luke wrote more words in Acts and Luke, but 
the influence that Paul had on the New Testament writings is such a powerful thing that people came to know more about Christ through the writings of Paul. But this man, Paul, was gifted in so so many ways. He would have been a Supreme Court judge. He would have been a, a, a trainer of doctoral fellows. He was a rabbinical, he was in line for the rabbinical leadership as a Pharisee, being groomed by Gamaliel, one of the great, great leaders of the Jewish faith. And it was an honor and privilege that Paul really took up because he was excelling in this way beyond anybody else. But Paul then becomes the very um, stone to strike at because Paul represents basically the fundamental shaping of all Christianity, whether you're Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, uh, Presbyterian, um, Anglican, uh, Pentecostal. Paul influenced almost all of the Western world's understanding of Christianity. Even so, People hated Paul. They thought so much against, uh, fought against him, tried to put him down. Uh, the late Muslim polemicist Ahmed Didat described Paul as the real founder of Christianity. Not Peter, Paul. But Paul was the cause of the division between Christianity and Islam. Islam has... Uh, no affection for Paul. Nietzsche hated Paul. Absolutely hated Paul. And he says he was a walking contradiction. Says this and does that. He was a weak man, a traitor. He was powerful in the sense that he was a cult leader, an authoritative figurehead, but he was just like a man, every other sinner. He didn't like him. Homosexuals hate Paul. Liberal Christians hate Paul. The Masons would not agree with Paul. For the Masons, that Paul would say the, the sin, the original sin that we are depraved and fallen short of the glory of God, there are a lot of groups who say, we're not that bad, we're good people. Paul says, we are so messed up, we can't save ourselves. Who is going to save us from our wretchedness? Many people don't like Paul. The feminists hate Paul. The postmodern man hates Paul. The secular man and, and Satan hates Paul. There's something about this man that the whole world is divided by this one man. He had such a power, and therefore the Judaizers back then wanted to get rid of him, and therefore everywhere Paul went, he drew this antagonism. Therefore, this man... You think about, wow, he has got such a grip on what you understand, what I understand, and therefore it's very important for us to really listen to say what he is trying to do. Paul was a Roman citizen, but he was from Saul of Tarsus, a Roman outpost, But not all people who were Roman citizens were Roman citizens because they were born in Rome. You could be born in Rome and be called a citizen. But you have to understand that citizenship didn't exist anywhere else in the world. You can't be a citizen of Israel back then. 
because citizenship has to do with a political system. The Greeks didn't have that set up yet. But Paul was a Roman citizen. And either by birth, because his father was in Rome, and you get citizenship because either you were born there or you were a slave and you were freed there. And so some people have wondered if Paul's father hadn't been a slave or involved in the military, the Roman military, and for that reason, his father received citizenship and it passed down to Paul. It's an amazing thing, but there was no one more equipped to deal with uh, the mission that God had than Paul. Look at this. You remember the story in, in Acts 11 when the mission started out and Barnabas is up in Antioch and Barnabas sees a lot of Gentiles coming to Christ in Antioch. Now think for a minute. If you're Barnabas in Israel, where's the first person you would normally think of? I should go to the headquarters and get some help. I should go to Jerusalem and get Peter involved. Barnabas didn't go to Peter. Barnabas, it says, he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For Barnabas knew that Saul had God's hand. God had his hand on Saul. And that for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians, Christ-like ones at Antioch. And therefore, this guy named Paul knew something of Christ that he wanted the people in Antioch to know, and that, for, that, that relationship would move on to Cyprus, it would move on the first missionary journey, and therefore, as you go into all of these places as we follow Paul, again, here's the focus. Paul was looking at the redemption that Christ was doing. He was looking at the restoration, bringing in the whole of the Gentile nations. It wasn't just a political, nationalistic, Jewish God that he was presenting. This was the Lord of the universe. Paul's vision of God was huge. And then he was looking at relationships. And Paul didn't have the love for those outside of his tribe before he met, this, met Christ. But when he met Christ, he totally changed. And listen, listen to Paul as Paul would talk about his fellow uh, citizens, his fellow um, uh, Hebrews. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that there is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Romans 10.3, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. But you hear Paul saying, I, I pray for them. I would even sacrifice myself for them. Paul's heart had come alive with a compassion for the lost. Now, in Japan, I came across this Chinese quote. Uh, from, he wasn't, wasn't Confucius. He was the guy after Confucius, Mencius. And Mencius said, when, people, when people's dogs and fowls are lost, they go look for them. 
Yet when they have lost their hearts, they do not go look for them. Paul was after the lost heart. And Paul went after, and so he was concerned for one reason. And the issue was, for Paul, his goal was this one word. And I give you this word to remember, and so you can pray, and we'll, look, we'll talk about this. Paul wanted people to participate. That might know him and participate in his sufferings. He said to the Philippians, I want, I want, I'm so thankful that you guys are participating in the movement of the gospel. And that wherever Paul would go, he wanted people to know Christ in a way that they would move with Christ. And yet, the Romans got it, the Corinthians didn't, the Galatians didn't, the Ephesians got it, the Colossians were learning it, the Philippians got it, and the Thessalonians got it. But you see, there are all the different stages of faith. And therefore, to focus their, focus their minds and their hearts on Christ, Paul had to do some work. And Paul's goals were to reproduce the gospel in such a way that people would see Christ, not Paul, see Christ, not Judaism, see Christ, not missions, see Christ. It was just about Christ. And what he said for me to live as Christ is what he would want you to say for me to live as Christ. But he knew that people had a journey to take. And therefore, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes the Christian life gets so wonderfully overwhelming that there's so much to learn. So many new things to say. I don't know that, I don't know that, I don't know that. Well, for Paul, it was very simple. This is my... My little phrase, I, I say, if you start with theology and church history and all the things that come with us, you'll eventually play all the themes and the ideas of last times and Satan and deliverance and healing. And you'll talk about the Bible, you'll talk about the church, you'll talk about leaders. But when you start and finish, middle C is the gospel. That's where you put your hands. Susan could tell us about that. But when, you, but when you start, you focus on the gospel. And you leave that, you become sharp or flat. And yet for Paul, it was all about understanding the power that you have. Turn with me to Romans 6. Because when Paul would say, for, uh, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. And that new creation would mean that your identity, your participation with Christ would open up so many things that most people, we just take this for granted. For example, in Romans 6, when Paul's starting uh, right off the bat, in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? How shall we who died to sin still participate in it? And so Paula would understand, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Paul understood something with baptism. Baptism is a metaphor. Baptism is a picture, a representation of some reality that's spiritually true, 
But baptism in itself is simply an act that represents the reality that's already taken place. And therefore, we're baptized into Christ as we go through those rituals where we go in the water, immersed, coming up. It's, it's a movement, it's a, it's a picture of change that takes place in the life of a believer. But it says we were baptized into his death. How could you be baptized into his death? One, you weren't there. Two, you never went into the tomb. Three, you never went to hell. Four, you never came alive with him in the resurrection. You weren't baptized with him literally in his death, literally in the tomb, literally at the cross, literally at at the resurrection. You weren't there. And therefore, you've got to understand what Paul is saying is that these realities are beyond just literal interpretation. These are realities that have taken place because you are in him, with him. What he did applies to you. And therefore, he says, don't you know that you've been baptized in Christ into his death? Therefore, we've been baptized with him through baptism so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life for we have become united with him. And that's what Paul wants you to know. You are not just an individual with an optional choice. I can walk with him or walk without him. I I can take him or leave him. If you are a Christian baptized in Christ, you are a new creature. And therefore, to understand that from initial faith is, it may be, okay, I know the language, I know the concept, but, but for Paul, it was something else. For Paul, it meant this. I have left the realm. I have left the rule. I have left that reality of that which would destroy me. Sin is that which will reduce your humanity. And so Paul understood that when Christ would come, he would undo that undoing of Adam. And he would redo and restore by bringing people back into this relationship with Christ. Therefore, the invitation to baptism means to put on Christ, to leave that realm and go into this realm. And therefore, you have a whole new identity in Christ. You have a whole new treasure, a whole new passion, a whole new mission where you see the world not in terms of how do I make a contribution to the world, but you see it how do I make a contribution to the world because I'm in Christ. And you leave off those last two words, you are so different. Um, I lost my thing. If uh, If you go back to the Wizard of Oz, And if you study the Wizard of Oz, uh, you look inside and you find that you've been in Kansas all along. That's just where you need to be. You're free to be yourself in Kansas. But if you look inside the kingdom of God and you look inside your heart, you find the Holy Spirit saying things that nobody else hears. That you are mine. You belong to me. And I'm going to make you glorious, beautiful, strong. These are what Paul understood that the gospel means. And therefore, for us to know what's in Paul's mind 
you have to have this understanding that with Christ, the rule of sin is broken. If you understand that the sin that destroys no longer has power over you, therefore it's the reign of Christ, we don't continue according to the flesh. We don't continue according to the world. We don't continue, but we come to this union, communion with Christ. And in that we are restored. In that we learn things. All this week I was talking to a lady in a nursing home who was talking to her relative and a relative was struggling with this COVID thing and fearful. And she said, I pray, I pray a lot these days, but I pray that God would forgive me. I pray every day that God would forgive me. I pray a lot that God would forgive me. Because her, her fears about dying were real. And she thinks, if I die and my sins aren't forgiven, I may not go to heaven. I thought, that believer has got infantile faith that she doesn't know the assurance when the king comes in to say, it is finished. You are forgiven. When Jesus would say the word daughter, he's talking about relationship. And therefore, this person who needs to have faith, uh, how is she going to grow? But she's stuck in a point where she's not going to get out of this, I need to, I need to, I need to forgive, I need to be forgiven. I need. When you move with the Spirit, you deal with that issue. And you understand that in Christ, your status is changed. Your position is secure. Your name is written in the book of life. And you rest in the grace that's yours in Christ. Without that faith in Christ, you won't participate. You won't grow. But Paul understood that this restoration would mean that you would become alive. You'd have a vital relationship with Christ, not a conceptual one, but you would understand that God is not going to condemn you because he he took it away in Christ. And therefore, with Christ, there's peace, real peace. And if this is at peace, this can be at peace. And therefore, with Christ, you know that you are now introduced to something as Paul would understand, and let me just throw this out and let you think about it with me. We have been told, uh, and we, we, in our vernacular sense, we say that Jesus died for our sins. That's true. Kinda. Uh, but the idea is that Jesus didn't die for our sins, just the penalty of our sin. Jesus died for sinners. And Jesus died to redeem the sinners out of their sin. So the guilt is removed. The wrath is gone. The condemnation is gone. It's not just illegal. But he didn't do it just for that. He died so that he would bring you back into that relationship. Okay, so let me throw this one out. I mentioned last week that God is on the move from helping us move from a passive Christianity to an active Christianity. If you get the grace of God as the gift of salvation, if I give you the gift, your, your response is to receive it. You don't work for it. We don't work for our salvation. We understand that. It's, it's because of Christ died for us that we have been given this glorious 
salvation as a gift. But in that giving, all you have to do is receive. And therefore, our understanding of faith tends to be passive. I just have to believe, I have to receive. But I don't think that is as biblical as we would like to think it to be. At least for Paul, he didn't think it that way. Because he would say that if you are going to have Jesus be the substitute for your, as a savior, then you simply have to believe in the substitute and you're done. Except that word substitution doesn't go well with the word atonement in the sense that yes, you can be forgiven, but the idea that you are at one with Christ, your union with Christ, you're, you're made alive in Christ, and, and all that's vitally alive is because of the, not just the forgiveness and the salvation, it's this new life in Christ. So, I was appointed by the courts as a personal representative of a lady who passed in Indiana. And as a representative, I was her substitute voice in legal matters after her death. She was no longer there to participate, so I did the work for her. Well, if you have this representational view that, or substitutionary view that Christ substitutes for me, then you can be very passive. But that's not what Paul is teaching. Paul is saying that yes, Christ died for your sins, but not just as a substitute. He's your stand-in and your representative in order to help you follow into the kingdom. And that participation is an act of faith that says because he loved me and gave himself for me, I will love him and give myself to him. And I move off of a passive faith into a participating faith with the one who represents me before the Father. And if I, am, if I follow that, then I understand that I have died with Christ and I'm walking out of that old realm and I'm participating in this new realm. Therefore, in this new realm, you'll hear things like you get the mind of Christ, you get the heart of Christ, you get the, the, the boldness of Christ, the joy, the compassion, the kindness, the fruits of the Spirit. If you are involved in a fellowship where this becomes real for you, if that is not your goal, you will be stuck over here in an undeveloped faith and you won't know much about the grace of God. You won't have the power to forgive. You won't have the power to deal with temptation because your faith is still developing. And therefore, understand that what Paul wants you to know is the same thing that Christ wants you to know, that you can have the assurance of salvation, your acceptance and forgiveness, these attitudes, your boasting in Christ, the fact that you, you have a confidence, not based on who you are, but based on who he is. And that wisdom that comes from above is yours if you move over here. Our strength comes from the grace. All of these riches, all that he has done, he has blessed us with in the heavenly places, become not just doctrines, they become life. If, and only if, you identify with Christ, your status is in him, 
and that you understand that he calls and you follow actively. He speaks and you listen attentively. He commands and you obey, and therefore he shows and we imitate. And therefore, what Paul wants us to know is that he wanted to strengthen the church in that relationship by having an intimate faith with Christ. Now, let me back up. If that's the goal, then you're on a real treat and a journey for discovering how wonderfully gracious our God is. Paul understood that. Paul understood that better than anybody else in the New Testament. And therefore, he writes so much about this new kingdom that broke in my heart. That took place for me in 1973, room 622 at 630. And when the guy came to my door and said, Jerry, I'd like to talk to you about Christ. That was the first night I had ever prayed to Christ. And when I prayed... It was the ding, it must have been the angel. Uh, I was scared to death because I didn't know what it was like to pray to the living God. But when that started in 1973, my life was radically changed. And I began to listen, and so Paul was the first guy I read that when Paul would say, they, they started to glorify God because of me. I began to see God use my life immediately with six guys on the floor, and they became Christians. I began to experience a reality that I had never seen before, and I had a hunger. I want to know Christ. That was so real for me. And now, uh, I'm 68, it's still just as real. I'm inviting you to participate, like Paul I'm inviting you to learn what Paul understood about Christ. That's for you. So be a disciple of Paul. Go and learn. This man has done more to shape our understanding of the Lord than anybody. Therefore, Christian, as as we end this session, I just want to say what Paul wanted you to know is to have the same faith that he had. Therefore, we can imitate and know Christ like he did. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you you want to strengthen us. Thank you that your word is so clear and that your spirit is so present. Increase our faith, we pray, that you would increase and we would decrease, that we would see Christ, know Christ, follow Christ, and you would have that kind of maturity as we would walk with you. Father, thank you that you, you have done all of this for us that we might know you. And you would do anything else that that would become a reality for us. So we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your guidance. And we praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.